Okay. Now, our subject is church closures during a crisis. Church closures during a crisis. And I have three main headings, and it depends on time. And I would like to first cover how this is unbiblical. Secondly, how it's unconstitutional. And thirdly, how it is untruthful and literally evil. Untruthful and evil. And it depends on how much time we have. I will primarily be covering the first part, and that is how unbiblical it is to close church, even temporarily, even during a crisis. Point number one, why is it unbiblical to close church? Point number one, no one, whether governmental officials or military officers or soldiers or employees, or employers, employees, husbands, parents, children, should violate the fourth commandment. That is the Sabbath commandment, to remember the Sabbath day, to keep it holy. Nobody should violate that commandment, not even temporarily violate that commandment, because would anyone argue that within the Ten Commandments, we could temporarily worship idols? We could temporarily commit adultery because of an urgency, sexual urges and desires? We, we can temporarily commit adultery? We could temporarily steal because I, ha- I don't have anything in my pantry, so I temporarily, just one day, I'm going to steal. Temporarily steal or any other sin. Can we suspend any of the Ten Commandments for the sake of an urgency? A crisis. No, we're supposed to do what God expects us to do based on the Ten Commandments. The Fourth Commandment is not to be suspended during any time at all. Point number two, whenever there is a conflict between a commandment of man and a commandment of God, we are obligated to obey God rather than men. Whenever there is a conflict between the commandment of God and the commandment of men, who receives the ultimate obedience? The commandment of God. God does, not man. And this takes place in various stratas of hierarchy and authority in society. Example, Acts chapter 4. The Jewish authorities are telling Peter and John to keep quiet. Stop preaching the gospel. Stop going here and there. Stop going to the temple. Stop doing it in your synagogues. House to house, stop doing it. 4.19 But Peter and John answered and said to them, Whether it is right in the sight of God to give heed to you rather than to God, you be the judge. For we cannot stop speaking what we have seen and heard. They were told to keep quiet. And they told the authorities, we're not going to keep quiet. And it's between you and God. But we're going to obey God. Your judgment is between you and God, is their answer. They do so again in Acts chapter 5. Acts chapter 5, the authorities are threatening the disciples again. And it says in verse 28, the authorities speak, saying, We gave you strict orders not to continue teaching in this name. And behold, you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching and intend to bring this man's blood upon us. But Peter and the apostles answered and said, We must obey God rather than men. We must obey God rather than men. This 
has to do with the preaching of the gospel. In the case of Daniel, Daniel's three friends, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, do you recall what they were commanded to do in Daniel chapter 3? Nebuchadnezzar erected a tall idol, and he expected all the people at the sound of music to bow down and worship his idol. And many of the peoples did so. Numerous people did so. But those three friends of Daniel did not do so. They didn't do it just temporarily because there was an urgency, a crisis. Uh, After all, the sovereign, the the king of the, the Babylonian Empire is commanding it, so we must do it. They didn't do that. They said no. And you know their answer, whether it is um, agreeable in the sight of the king or not, we are going to serve God, even if he delivers us or does not deliver us. That was their response. How about Daniel the prophet? Daniel the prophet was given a temporary, a 30-day decree delivered to him and everyone in Daniel chapter 6, a 30-day decree not to worship any god but the one. The king, right? Not to worship your own God for only 30 days. You don't have to do it for long. Only 30 days, temporarily. You don't have to do it for very long. This is, after all, the king. The king of the Persian Empire by that point. Darius, he's the one saying it. And did Daniel obey him? Daniel was one of his officials and he did not obey him. He did not obey. Joseph, in the land of Egypt... Remember Genesis chapter 39. He had, he was a slave in his master's house. So his master and his mistress were both in authority over him. They were free people. He was a slave. So in the sense of being free and slave, he was a slave supposed to submit to the master and the mistress of the house, right? But what happened? When the master wasn't around and nobody else was around in the house, the mistress wanted to commit adultery with Joseph. And what did Joseph say? Yes, I'll be happy to do it because I'm a slave and you're free. You have authority over me, so I will do it. Just temporarily because nobody's around, your husband's not around. No. He told her no, that he could not do this great evil and sin against God. He did not submit to that authority how about the Hebrew midwives in Genesis chapter, uh, Exodus chapter 1? Exodus 1, 15 to 22. The Hebrew midwives were commanded, ordered by the king of Egypt, the Pharaoh, to throw the Hebrew boys into the river or to kill them. They were supposed to do that upon birth, and they refused to do so. And because they feared God, God established Households for them. He blessed them for disobeying the edict, the order of the king. There are many examples like this in Scripture. Whenever a superior expects the inferior or subordinate to do something, if it's contrary to the will of God, according to the word of God, even within the Ten Commandments, they say no. The godly say no. The ungodly or unbelieving, they succumb and do so. Then point number three, Hebrews 10, 24 to 25, Hebrews 10, 24 to 25, warns us not to forsake the assembling of ourselves together. It doesn't say unless there is a crisis, unless there is some kind of an emergency. It says not to do so, as is the habit of some. 
but encourage one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Now, that one verse, aside from a crisis, nobody takes that verse seriously. When I say nobody, an extremely small percentage of Christians take that verse, Hebrews 10, 24 to 25, seriously. Do you know what it takes these days to be considered a regular member or regular attender of a church? If you go once or twice a month on Sunday morning, if you go once or twice a month on Sunday morning, then you are categorized by those who do these surveys and polls, you are categorized as being a regular church attender. Really? Once or twice a month? It sounds like church has already become unessential for most of Christianity. It's unessential and optional for most people who claim to be Christians. It's already there in their mindset. They don't have to go every week. They don't, and they don't even have to go at other times during the week. Just once or twice on Sunday morning each month. It's already in their head that way. And it's also already in our head for decades. For decades, what do people do when they should be worshiping God? They have already for decades, literally decades, considered church attendance optional or unessential. If I feel like it, I'll do it. If the circumstances are ideal, then I'll go. If they're not ideal, I won't go. Right? Sports. Entertainment, restaurants, shopping, hobbies, chores, vacations, all of these smother church attendance, smother, kill, and bury church attendance. Then, if this temporary use of video equipment suffices, why not do it all, at all times? Right? Why not do it at all times? And if we do it at all times, can we do other things at all times too? And will people be happy about that? What if somebody says, we're always going to have TV church. We're always going to have video church. We're always going to have live streaming. And there's no need to attend anymore. You know what's going to happen? Church buildings are going to close. Right? And we can justify it. After all, why spend millions and millions of dollars on buildings? and constructing new buildings and expanding your buildings and properties when you could spend those millions of dollars sending missionaries all across the world to preach the gospel. We need pastors everywhere to preach the gospel, don't we? We could justify it. Close your buildings, only do live streaming, and use all that money to spread around the world. But no, pastors will not put up with that because they want their petty kingdoms. And many, many times it's in their buildings. Not all, not all pastors do that, but many times these large and lavish complexes are there for the pride of the pastor. That's why they are there. And they're squandering God's money with those buildings. But if video church is okay, send missionaries. Then, those people watching from home, do you think that they are seriously listening? Do you think that, they're, do you think that they have dressed up, taken a bath, combed their hair, whatever? Or do you think they might be in their pajamas with their feet up with maybe a father or mother watching one or the other, maybe both. But if they have small children, that small children are running around here and there playing and making noise. And how are they going to be paying attention to the sermon? 
They're not going to be paying attention very well, not as much as if they were there in person. There are many implications like this about this video and streaming of church. And then my question is, if it's unessential to gather as a church, is it essential to gather in stadiums to watch sports? Can we just give that up altogether too? How about giving up going to the office? Let's find a way never to have to go to the office again. Let's find a way to work from home or to do no work. Let's find a way to have the government pay us $5,000 a month or even $100,000 a year so that we don't have to work at all. If it's going to be for everybody's safety, right? Because if you go out of the house, if you drive, you might kill somebody in a car wreck. You might kill somebody or yourself in a car wreck. Right. Why go to movies anymore? Let's not have movie theaters. Netflix gives us everything we want, right? Peace and happiness 24-7. So why go to the movie theater anymore? We don't need to do that. But people are going to demand that, just as they will demand going to stadiums to watch ball games. It doesn't make sense. None of it, if you think about this biblically and logically, just with a calm disposition in your mind, look at the reality of the situation, you know, if you're honest with yourself, it doesn't make sense. The things that people have said and concocted in order to justify the closure of churches, even the temporary closure of churches, does not make sense biblically. Then, my next question or point, and the unbiblical nature of it is point number four. What's actually being preached in these live streaming sermons? At this time when billions of people, billions, billions, not millions, but billions of people around the globe are thinking of death. Billions of people are thinking of death. Are pastors preaching repentance for the forgiveness of sins? If they really love their people, after all, isn't that why we're doing this? If they really love their people, will they not preach repentance and faith in the Lord Jesus Christ so people go to heaven? Are they really preaching the true gospel of Jesus Christ from the pulpit of their videos? Are they doing so? I highly doubt it. I highly doubt it. Is that not what Jonah preached when imminent death threatened the Ninevites? Imminent death, yet 40 days and Nineveh will be overthrown. That's just a few weeks, right? We were told, just two weeks. No, no, two more weeks. No, no, two more weeks. Now it's been two or three months, right? But in Jonah's case, 40 days, just a few weeks. And there's going to be death. What did Jonah preach? He preached repentance, and then they repented. If Jonah preached repentance, shouldn't we? Didn't Jesus also teach us to preach repentance? Luke 24, 46 to 47. And thus it is fulfilled that the Christ should suffer and rise again from the dead on the third day, and that repentance for forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all the nations beginning from Jerusalem. Jesus taught us to preach to everybody repentance, turn away from sin. But no, I highly doubt that in most cases, these video sermons are not preaching repentance because of, in their mind, this imminent death that the whole world could face in the millions. Then, point number five has to do with certain dubious preachers or pastors, theologians, 
who have justified the closure of churches. Probably in a couple of these, you have not heard of these. You may or may not have. I'd like to focus on one of them and then refute it. Um, Excuses have been put forward for the closure of churches. These are the ones that I have come across. You may have heard of a pastor, author, seminarian named Joel Beakey. Joel Beakey. And he reproduced Richard Baxter's advice. Richard Baxter was one who lived in the 1600s in Britain, in the 1600s. And this was a part of Richard Baxter's advice. The question is is this, may we omit church assemblies on the Lord's Day if the magistrate forbid them? May we omit assemblies on the Lord's Day if the magistrate, the officials, the government forbids them? That is the question. And he has a long and circuitous answer to that in a very vague way. He, he, kinds, uh, he says one thing, he says another. And finally, in the end, without citing chapter and verse, he does cite one verse out of context, but without chapter and verse, he vaguely refers to it. And then finally, he says, but it is lawful prudently to do that secretly for the present necessity, which we cannot do publicly, and to do that with smaller numbers, which we cannot do with greater assemblies, yea, and to omit some assemblies for a time that we may thereby have opportunity for more, so forth. So, he basically is saying throughout this, in his own mumble-jumble, he's saying we should do whatever the government says. But then in this last paragraph, he gives us the opportunity to not do what the government says because he was a double talker. He was known to be a double talker at the time. And those who have studied Richard Baxter's writings knows that he was a Catholic sympathizer. He was an ecumenical kind of a person. He believed in salvation by justification and works, so that's a Catholic doctrine. He believed in some heresies. He was not a straight-up, biblical, sound theologian and pastor. He was not that way. And this shows in this answer that he gives. Because if we wanted to use Richard Baxter, we could still meet privately in smaller numbers. We could still do it. But most of these churches have chosen not to do it. Not to do it at all. And they cite Richard Baxter. But Richard Baxter, even with his double talk, did not give them permission to do so all together. Another one is uh, the point, uh, number two. The second example is Albert Moeller. He's the president of the Southern Baptist Theological Seminary in Kentucky. He published a video on the 11th of March this year, six minutes long, over six minutes long, And in that six minutes, he vaguely cites the commandment to love our neighbor, to excuse the closure of classes on campus. He says, we're doing this to love our neighbor. To love our neighbor. That's the way we are implementing this commandment. And he said even that he prayed about it and he shed tears about it. Yes, he shed tears about closing the campus. But only one vague reference to love your neighbor. 
Seems like Baxter was also vague. Muller is also vague in their citation of Scripture. Then number three, there was a Presbyterian church in Tulsa, Oklahoma, that alleges that if churches meet, they will be transgressing the sixth commandment. The sixth commandment, which is you shall not kill or you shall not murder. Exodus 20, verse 13. If we meet, then we are going to murder people. We're going to kill people if we meet as a church. Therefore, we should not meet. Really? Um, You shall not murder. If we're going to practice you shall not murder in the false application, false interpretation and application of it, then those people in that Presbyterian church should never drive their cars again. Because car accidents account for tens of thousands of deaths in the United States annually. And since it occurs annually like that, in the tens of thousands of deaths, why should anybody ever drive a car again? And then I'd like to know if this Presbyterian church in Tulsa actually preaches against the killing or butchery of babies in so-called abortion clinics. Do they preach against it? Do they do anything against it? Do they persuade their people against it? Because in the United States, there are at least a million of those babies who are put to death who don't see the light of life. A million. If they really cared about that commandment, you shall not murder. But they don't do anything. Usually, it's liberal churches who say things like this, who make vague references to Scripture without understanding these Scriptures in context so forth. Then number four. The fourth example is John MacArthur. John MacArthur. Um, one piece of evidence. This was published This was published on the 13th of March this year, 2020. Quote, Grace Community Church elder Han Cho told the congregation earlier today, this is a subquote, earlier today, California Governor Gavin Newsom upgraded his recommendation to cancel gatherings of 250 plus people to a full mandate. The GCC elders, Grace Community Church, where John MacArthur's pastor and an elder, discussed this tonight, and we will be complying in submission to the governing authorities per Romans 13, 1-7 and 1 Peter 2, 13-17. Romans 13, 1-7 and 1 Peter 2, 13-17. 1 Peter 2 essentially is like Romans 13. So for the sake of brevity, let's just go to Romans 13 and we'll read the passage. Romans 13, 1 to 7. 1 to 7. Let every person be in subjection to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and those which exist are established by God. Therefore, he who resists authority has opposed the ordinance of God. And they who have opposed will receive condemnation upon themselves. For rulers are not a cause of fear for good behavior, but for evil. Do you want to have no fear of authority? Do what is good, and you will have praise from the same. 
for it is a minister of God to you for good. But if you do what is evil, be afraid, for it does not bear the sword for nothing. For it is a minister of God, an avenger who brings wrath upon the one who practices evil. Therefore, it is necessary to be in subjection, not only because of wrath, but also for conscience' sake. For because of this, you also pay taxes, for rulers are servants of God, devoting themselves to this very thing. Render to all what is due them, tax to whom taxes due, custom to whom custom, fear to whom fear, honor to whom honor. Well, if this scripture is to be cited, is it absolute? Does it mean that whenever the government issues any kind of order, any kind of decree, any kind of law, when the government does that, we ought to obey it? Is that what Paul meant? Did Paul mean to say that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in Daniel chapter 3 sinned against Nebuchadnezzar and the government and God? Did he mean to say that Daniel in Daniel chapter 6 sinned against Darius and sinned against the Persian Empire and sinned against God? Is that what Paul is saying here? No. Absolutely not. Paul knew that there were exceptions. He knew that there were exceptions. Furthermore, I submit, I, I, I insist, and I submit the question, but I insist that somebody give me an answer. In verses 3 and 4, it says, For evil, if you do what is evil. So, when is meeting as a church body in your local church an evil thing? When is it an evil thing? How can anybody with any biblical knowledge or any kind of rationality consider the church meeting to be evil? Now, who does consider it evil? All, yes, Satan. Satan and all unbelievers. All unbelievers. Muslims consider it evil, so they don't want us to meet in Muslim countries, right? Hindus consider it evil, so they don't want us to meet in Hindu countries. Buddhists consider it evil, so they don't want us Christians to meet in Buddhist countries. And communists, communists in China and elsewhere all around the world do not want Christians to meet. Whether publicly or privately, they do not want Christians to meet. They are the ones who consider it evil, but God's mind and the rational mind would not consider it evil. So there, is, there are exceptions to it, and there is no way to properly define it as evil, as though the government has justification to punish us for doing evil. Another point related to John MacArthur is, I found a short video, three minutes long, three minutes and 24 seconds long, where John MacArthur primarily spent the time on the video, primarily spent the time soliciting money. As far as I saw in this video, he did not make reference to Scripture. He vaguely alluded to the present circumstances, and he solicited money in that video. That's all. That's all he did. Furthermore, Acts chapter 4, remember we read that? 
Acts 4.19, these remarks are made. Christians should obey governmental authority. Romans 13.1-7, 1 Peter 2.13-17. But when government decrees are clearly contrary to God's word, God must be obeyed. Exodus 1, which is the Hebrew midwives, and Daniel chapter 6, Daniel against the decree of Darius. Romans chapter 13, verse 1. This Greek word for subjection in verse 1 was used of a soldier's absolute obedience to his superior officer. Scripture makes one exception to this command. When obedience to civil authority would require disobedience to God's word. And citations are Exodus 1, which would be the midwives, Daniel 3, Daniel's friends, and then Daniel chapter 6, which would be Daniel. And also, he refers to notes on Acts chapters 4 and 5, those verses we have already read. Exceptions. There are exceptions. And then 1 Peter chapter 2. Remember, 1 Peter 2, 13 to 17 is similar to Romans 13, 1 to 7. And this comment is made on 1 Peter 2, 14. Governor, uh, excuse me, on the comment on the word governors. Christians are to live in obedience to every institution of civil and social order on earth. This includes obedience to the national government, verse 13, the king, the state government, the police, and judges. Only when the government tries to force a Christian to do what is against the law of God explicitly stated in Scripture should he refuse to submit. For which, see Acts chapter 4, Acts chapter 5, Titus 1, 6, and Titus 3, 1, and 2. Now, who is making these exceptions? John MacArthur. From John MacArthur's own study Bible, in the verses we read, and even, remember, he and his elders published a statement that Romans 13 and 1 Peter 2 says, say we ought to obey the government. But in his own commentary, in those passages, he says, unless they say something contrary to Scripture. And they are saying something contrary to Scripture. So he contradicts his own advice in his own MacArthur Study Bible. He did so. Now my question is, does he believe what's in his study Bible, or does he believe what he did today, or in, in March? What does he believe? If he has changed his view from his study Bible to now, I would like reimbursement. Because he doesn't believe he doesn't believe in the Bible anymore. And the correct interpretation. Obviously, it's a, the correct interpretation. His study Bible is correct, but his current statement from March of this year is incorrect. Now, just to illustrate some more about subordination and disobedience, just as MacArthur acknowledged in his study Bible. Is it sin and evil for a young child to steal from the store by the order of his parents? Is it? Yes. 
Is it sin and evil for a teenage girl to fornicate with some men to find out who is best in bed before she marries him? Yes. Is is it sin and evil for a wife to get drunk because her husband wants her to do it? You know, go, let's go to a party and let's get drunk together. Is it sin for her to listen to him? Whether she's a Christian or an unbeliever, is it a sin? Yes. Is it sin and evil for soldiers to rape the women of their enemies when their commanding officers encourage it? Yes. Is it sin and evil for us to worship idols when our government demands it? Yes. And is it sin and evil to stop assembling as a church because our government orders it? Yes. Yes. Therefore, on the biblical argument, pastors, the fifth point, pastors who have closed their churches must repent. They must repent. There is repentance, just like Peter denied Christ and he repented, and that's good. And others in the Bible have been faithful Christians or faithful pastors, faithful uh, uh, prophets of God, and yet they have, have succumbed to sin. And what do they do? Like David, he repented. In Psalm 51, he repented. Like Jonah, Jonah also, he repented, and he went to Nineveh to preach to them. He didn't want to go, and he disobeyed God, but he repented and went to Nineveh. So if pastors have closed their churches they should repent for the forgiveness of sins. And if they do not repent, they have no biblical basis and no moral authority to preach the gospel anymore. Amen. Not to preach it anymore. They have no biblical basis or moral authority to preach it anymore. Why? Because they cannot preach Luke 9.23. If any man wants to come after me, let him deny himself. Take up his cross daily and follow me. What have we heard? Well, we could die out there. You could die. You could die. The virus is going to get you. You could die. People have been saying that, terrifying the citizens worldwide. You could die. Well, take up your cross. What if they come and knock on your door? Are you going to be willing to, be, to say you are a Christian and then go to jail? Well, they could put me in jail. I could go to jail for six months or 30 days. They could fine me $1,000. Well, then pay the, the fine if you have to pay it. Or go to jail for 30 days if you have to go. Didn't, you, didn't the scripture say, if any man wants to come after me, let him deny himself. Take up his cross daily, which means be willing to die for Christ. Amen. Be willing to die for Christ. And don't fear man. If they could put me in jail, what did Jesus say in Matthew 10, 28? And do not fear those who kill the body, but afterwards are unable to kill the soul, but rather fear him who is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. Okay, they might put me in handcuffs and take me to jail. I might die in jail because the virus is also in jail, right? It's also in the prisons across the United States. So we have to release all of the criminals, the murderers and the rapists and the pornographers and pedophiles. We have to release them to give room for us to be in jail. And then get the virus in jail somehow. And then maybe we'll be released after, before 30 days. Is that the way it works? It's asinine. It's completely asinine. Do not fear man and what man can do to you. 
Furthermore, no moral authority to say we have no fear of death. Hebrews 2. Hebrews 2.14. Since then the children share in flesh and blood. He himself likewise also partook of the same, that through death he might render powerless him who had the power of death, that is the devil, and might deliver those who through fear of death were subject to slavery all their lives. Death, we should face it courageously. Not cowardly, but courageously. Face death. And then what about anxiety? The, the media since March, the media since March, they have terrified us. They have terrified us, created terror and anxiety in every one of us, right? They're trying to, to, trying to foment this and keep it sustained, sustained as long as they can, even years. Oh, we can't go out, we can't do anything until there's a virus, which might take two years or three years. They don't tell you that we don't have uh, a vaccine, excuse me, a vaccine for most viruses. They don't tell you that. So the chances are slim that that will ever happen. But they are terrifying us. But should we be terrified by anybody or our circumstances? No. No. Do not, Philippians 4, 6 and 7, do not be anxious for anything, but by everything with prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, shall guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. We're not supposed to be anxious about anything. We are supposed to face whatever is presented before us. And furthermore... What about facing God one day? What are we going to say when we face him? Jesus said in Matthew 10, Matthew 10, after he told us not to fear, but to fear him who is able to destroy soul and body in hell, he tells us the very hairs of your head are all numbered, meaning God's mindful and he cares for us deeply. There 31, Matthew 10:31. Therefore do not fear, you are of more value than many sparrows. Everyone, therefore, who shall confess me before men, I will also confess him before my Father who is in heaven. But whoever shall deny me before men, I will also deny him before my Father who is in heaven. I don't want God or Christ to ever deny me before the Father in heaven because I would not confess him before men here on earth. These are some of the biblical implications of this crisis. Okay, the unconstitutional nature of it. Unconstitutional nature of it. Number one, orders to prohibit worship even during a purported crisis. It's ostensibly a crisis. I know practically it is a crisis in that there is a flu out there. The Wuhan flu is out there. And I know that many economies have been shut down and many lives have been destroyed. So there is a crisis in that sense. But was it a manufactured crisis? Did it have to happen? And I argue that it did not have to happen. It did not have to happen religiously and also constitutionally. And my third point, practically, it did not have to happen. Unconstitutionally, it did not have to happen. It's a purported crisis in that the way it was first presented. 
because it violates the First Amendment of the U.S. Constitution. It violates the First Amendment. Quote, Congress shall make no law respecting an establishment of religion or prohibiting the free exercise thereof or abridging the freedom of speech or of the press or the right of the people peaceably to assemble and to petition the government for a redress of grievances. It says, no law to abridge or prohibit the free exercise of religion, speech, press, assembly, and to redress the government, or seek for a redress from the government. But that's the opposite of what's happening now. You can't meet as Christians. You are prohibited even from having a Bible in some places. Having a Bible, if you have service with just a few people, you're not allowed to sing songs in some places. Generally, you're not supposed to serve communion. You're not supposed to baptize anybody. Hey, wait a minute. Why are they regulating what we do in church? Why are they regulating that? I know they regulate our light bulbs and toilets, but do they have to regulate... Do they have to regulate our church services? No. And the Constitution does not allow them to do that. It doesn't say, unless there's an, uh, uh, an exception or unless there's a crisis, unless there's an emergency. And this has been in my mind and my argument to my friends since it first happened. I didn't buy any of this when it first happened. None of it when it first happened. Not after two weeks or not after one month, did it dawn on me that I've been duped? But from the very beginning, I know what the situation is. I'm trying to use my mind, not my emotions. I use the Bible and not man's opinions. And it's easy to see through it all. Yep. It's easy to see through it all. But why is it? Why is it that now people are waking up? Now they are, and I'm thankful that now they are. Many people are waking up. And in fact, yesterday I read an article that 500 pastors in California are saying they're going to start meeting regardless of what the governor is saying. In contrast to what the governor said, 500 pastors in California. I never knew there were 500 pastors in California. (laughs) But what what about the rest of the country? What about the rest of the country? Why are we not waking up? The Attorney General of the United States woke up He started to see what was happening, William Barr, and he said the Constitution is not supposed to be suspended at all. And he's keeping his eye on the matter. He says there is no exception to suspend the Constitution. Then why did we suspend it? Why did we suspend it? But you might say, well, it says Congress can't, but the governors can. Some have argued that. Congress can't, but the governors can't. No, the governors are prohibited from subverting the Constitution. They are prohibited from subverting the Constitution. That's point number two, which is orders to prohibit worship even during a purported crisis violate the 14th Amendment of the Constitution. The 14th Amendment of the Constitution. Section 1, quote, All persons born or naturalized in the United States and subject to the jurisdiction thereof are citizens of the United States and of the state wherein they reside. Good. 
By the way, speaking of that, I'm a naturalized U.S. citizen. My parents fled socialistic and communistic India in the 1960s. We fled there. I'm naturalized. And I do have a concern about this as a naturalized citizen. And my children will be here. My grandchildren will be here. What about everyone else who was born here? What about, and what about you who have read, seen pictures, movies, documentaries? You have visited foreign countries. What we have here is not all around the world. It's not all around the world. And it can disappear just like that. Just like it has been disappearing. It only took about a week or two weeks, and literally just a few days, within a week, for the narrative in the media and the government to be, no, no, this is okay, this is okay, We're gonna, this is not going to be a bad flu, it's just going to be like the regular flu, or even less than the regular flu, the annual regular flu in the winter, it's going to be like that. And then suddenly, they flipped the light switch in the middle of March, and said, oh, no, no, we need to shut down the economy. Really? Really? When you think about it, that's how quickly it happened here. Study the history of some other countries that turned just like that. Iran turned just like that. Cuba turned just like that. And it could turn just like that in the United States. We're tasting it right now. If we who were born here and naturalized allow it to happen. Okay, now back to the 14th Amendment and what it says in Section 1. This is relevant to whether states can undermine the Constitution, whether the governors of states can say something or do something to undermine the Constitution. It says, No state shall make or enforce any law which shall abridge the privileges or immunities of citizens of the United States. That means they can't undermine the Constitution that applies to the whole nation. Nor shall any state deprive any person of life, liberty, or property without due process of law. We are not to be deprived of life, liberty, or property. Isn't that what they are threatening? The mayor of New York threatening to close churches permanently? Close them permanently? Mayor de Blasio of New York City threatening to do that. And as well, other things that they are threatening to do around the country, various mayors and various governors are doing so. And they're doing so without due process of law. They're threatening to go and seize whatever assets, just like that. Nor, it says, nor deny to any person within its jurisdiction the equal protection of the laws. Equal protection of the laws. Now, why is it some churches, a few churches, have been doing drive-in churches? That is, they, they park in the parking lot in their cars, and they have their windows up, and the pastor's preaching, and they hear the pastor, but they're meeting in a sense in that they're meeting outside in their parking lot. Why is it that those churches are prohibited from doing so, but you can go to the local hamburger restaurant and go through their drive-thru, put your window down and get your burger and go home with a happy meal. Why are they allowing that? It says right here, equal protection, equal protection, equal treatment of the laws. 
Why are churches being singled out for this kind of treatment? Have you noticed that the most vulnerable are the ones who are usually put to death? Little babies and the elderly. Even in New York, under Governor Cuomo, the elderly are dying more because Cuomo says if there's somebody who has the Wuhan flu, he's diagnosed to have it, then he's supposed to be put into a nursing home. In a nursing home. To infect the other elderly people so that they can die sooner. He's not saying it that way, but he did order for them to be put there in the nursing homes. And what's the result? You're going to have more people die. Equal protection? He cares about life and liberty? No, he doesn't. No, he doesn't. He's a rascal of a politician. That's what he is. Then finally, finally, is the untruthful and entirely evil nature of what we have been fed. The untruthful and entirely evil information we have been fed. Number one, the 2.2 million deaths figure was a scam to scare everybody. This so-called scientist or researcher, Neil Ferguson, Neil Ferguson from Britain, who's published a model, so-called scientific model, that 2.2 million people were going to die in the United States because of the Wuhan flu. 2.2 million. And the media put that number out there day in and day out for several days to scare everybody. To scare everybody. That was the time when the the light switch was turned off. That's what they did. 2.2 million people are going to die. And then what happened? No, 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 not 2.2 million. 100 to 200,000. Really? Well, that's a big difference. Then he said, no, no, 240,000. He went up. Then he said, no, no, uh, then various other models, 90,000, no, no, 80,000, no, no, 70,000, no, no, 60,000. And that's where we are now. Which means what? They don't have a clue. They have no clue. They are full of lies and deceit. That's what it is. And Anthony Fauci in the United States, he used this figure, he repeated this figure, and he promoted it, and the media of the United States and the world promoted these kinds of figures. 550,000 in Britain, 2.2 million in the United States. Caused Britain to shut down, and literally shut down is house arrest. It's house arrest, it's not quarantine, it's not shelter in place, it's not stay at home order, it's a house arrest, because if you leave your house under unqualified conditions by the government, you will be fined, you will be arrested, you will be snitched upon, so on and so forth. These things will happen. So it's house arrest, it's not a quarantine or any other false label that they give it. It's a house arrest. Fauci did so. Fauci, Anthony Fauci, as late as the 9th of March, from January until the 9th of March, was telling everybody that it's okay. It's okay. We're on top of it. We're watching it. Everybody's okay. Everything will be just fine. For example, on the 9th of March, 
some of what he said, the main part, the gist is, he says, quote, If you are a healthy person, there is no reason if you want to go on a cruise ship, go on a cruise ship. On the 9th of March, he said that. If you want to go on a cruise ship, the 9th of March, go on a cruise ship. This is his consistent message, but then the, flip, uh, the light switch flipped just like that. From on to off. On to off. Now, when I say untruthful and entirely evil, why do I call Ferguson and Fauci evil? Because last week, Ferguson was discovered to have at least twice had sex with a woman who's not his wife, and the woman is a married woman with children in Britain. And he did it secretly, but somehow it was discovered. And he, the first occurrence was on the 30th of March, which would have been about two weeks after he published his fraudulent report that 2.2 million people are going to die in the United States. And we need to stay away from each other. Stay away from each other. But this woman... He's committing adultery with this woman who's married. He's doing that. And it was so disastrous and humiliating to him that he had to resign his post. He resigned his post. And he admits to doing contrary to what he advised. Which I take to mean, you really, sir, if I, if I may call you a sir, you really did not believe what you published. And you don't believe what you have done over the years because it's also documented that on various other diseases over the years he has been wrong miserably. This is not the first time he was wrong. And then for Fauci. This happened uh, three or four weeks ago. A reporter in the afternoon briefing, a reporter asked a question to Anthony Fauci. Um, what if uh, there are people who want to hook up like Tinder, Grindr, and there's another app. There are these apps where you can meet up with complete strangers and have sex with complete strangers, whether it's adultery or whatever, any kind of sexual sin. You can meet up with complete strangers. And Fauci, uh, uh, he mumbles and, and stumbles a little bit, but in, in the end, he says, if you're careful, yes, it's okay. Essentially, that's what he says. If you're careful, just be careful, but you can do it. Why? Why? I thought we're supposed to be six feet away from each other. But this is a complete stranger. We can't go to the store. We can't go to the church. We can't shake the hands of people at church. We can't have communion at church. But complete strangers can have sex with each other. You're saying this, Anthony Fauci? You are a complete fraud, Anthony Fauci. And if you study the history of Anthony Fauci, he has a history of fraudulent behavior. He's a corrupt, wicked bureaucrat in bed with other corrupt and wicked bureaucrats. Number two, untruthful and entirely evil. The statistics of the Wuhan flu are being inflated in numerous reports. Yes, in Virginia, they say count double. Whenever this happens, count double. In New York... Um, they're also raising the, the number. And even a funeral home director was saying, all of these dead people are counted as being uh, 
killed by the Wuhan flu, even though that's not the case. He's, there's a recording of him saying that. And even Deborah Burks, the other so-called expert and doctor and scientist, along with Fauci. Deborah Burks was asked about this, and she said openly that if someone dies with this flu, we counted that he died because of the flu, even though he might have died of cancer, might have died of something else. We're counting it as that death. So all these figures, even the 60,000 figure of today, is an inflated figure. And take that in consideration with the fact that even generally speaking, there is a, a large percentage. I, I heard one report that one-third of all death certificates misidentify the cause of death. Even apart from this situation, this crisis, even apart from it, people, the doctors and whatever, whatever's going on, whether it's corruption or incompetence or both, it's not being done accurately. And then why would they inflate these figures? Because the federal government is giving $13,000 for each patient in a hospital and $39,000 for each patient with this flu in the hospital if he's using a ventilator. So there's a money motive to report it like that, and the government is encouraging that, both openly and monetarily encouraging that. Number three. Number three, why close churches and the economy for this? For this, when we do not for a million babies murdered annually here in the United States. A million annually. Annually a million. One million. A million. And no closure? Aren't they going to be taxpayers? Aren't, aren't they going to be good for the economy? We'll have to buy clothing. We have to buy diapers. We have to buy baby food. Aren't they going to be good for the economy? Aren't they going to be those who work in, the, in our industries and support the elderly? Right? Well, why don't we close the economy for that? Which is something that never made sense. Since when in the history of mankind, or even in the history of the United States, has any nation shut down an economy, closed the economy, because of a supposed pandemic or a real pandemic? It has never occurred, but why at the beginning were they talking like that? It made no sense to me. And it made no sense because immediately I saw it's corruption. They have an agenda, a malicious agenda. There is no flu that should be connected with the closure of an economy. And if you want to close it here or whatever for a million babies, what about India? India murders 15 million babies a year. 15 million and China, 25 million. 25 million. And if we close our economy, speaking of China, why did China never close their economy? They never closed their economy in the recent months. They only closed the city of Wuhan temporarily, but they never closed their economy. This has to be suspicious. Number four. More people die of the common flu and car accidents, and no one winks. We don't close the economy because of the common flu. We don't close the economy because of car accidents or any other kinds of means of death or fatalities. We don't do so. Why are we doing it now? Unless there's an agenda. 
And it is a political agenda. Point number five. A lot of media fear-mongering is happening as they usually do to deceive us. The media, you just wait. One week after another. One week after another. Usually it'll last a week or two. Maybe a month or two. But usually a week or two. There's going to be something that they shout in our face. They ram down our throats 24-7 to tell us... This is what happened. This is the situation. we got to act in this way. They scare us to death constantly, every day. Whether it's weather, whether it's cars, whether it's cows. Now it's oysters. Did you know that oyster flatulence is going to destroy the planet? No, I'm not kidding. They say that. They say that. They scare us to death with every kind of thing. You can't drink water. You can't breathe the air. Because everything is contaminated. And it's all our fault, the American middle class. That's really what they say. They're teaching us that. So why trust them? Do not trust them. Do not trust them in whatever they say. Wait a week or two for the truth to surface, to come to the surface. Wait a week or two. Whenever you first hear something, don't believe it. 100% don't believe it. Keep it in your mind, but don't act on it. Don't believe it. Wait a week or two and start to collect the information as to what is really happening. Number six, point number six. Why are the Democrats, the Democrat Party, and ilk in agreement with the Chinese communists? Why is it that in this recent crisis... Whatever the Chinese communists say, the American media, the popular mainstream media, the Democrat Party, Hollywood, all of the typical miscreants, all of the typical rascals who are destroying our culture and destroying Christianity in the United States through movies and music and all the rest, they're the ones destroying the country. Why are they in agreement with the Chinese communists on this matter? All of the talking points are similar or the same. Why? Does that not strike anybody as odd and suspicious? It should. It should. Point number seven. Have you heard this? If you want the economy open, if you want churches open, you're about the economy. You're not about lives. You don't care about lives. You care about the economy. That's a false dilemma. It's a false choice. It is a false one. Because destroying the worldwide economy destroys billions of lives. Billions of lives. Just consider, India is 1.3 billion people. 1.3 billion. And then if you add Africa, South America, North America, Europe, you've got at least 2 billion people. Or 3 billion people, right? 4 billion. Then you go to Asia. And then go to China. But China is not closed. Everybody else is closed, but China is fat and happy while we are struggling. Billions of people, and among the billions of lives destroyed, billions of lives destroyed, that is, sudden poverty, sudden depression, sudden um, drug addiction, suicides, domestic violence, divorces, famine, worldwide famine. Are not millions of people going to be killed because of this? And billions of lives impacted negatively because of this? 
It's not economies versus lives. It's billions of lives versus a few thousands of lives. That's what it is. At least in the United States, a few thousand or tens of thousands, depending on if we can get a truthful statistic as to how many people actually have died from it. So if billions of lives are going to be destroyed and millions killed, tell me, Albert Moeller, how does that accord with Christian love? You shall love your neighbor as yourself. As you vaguely and wrongly took that verse out of context from Holy Scripture. It doesn't accord with it. Not at all. Not at all. It's unethical. It's immoral. It's untruthful, unfactual. It is evil. None of it makes sense. So, unbiblical, unconstitutional, and untruthful. He who has ears to hear, let him hear what the Spirit says. Amen.